welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Meg, and champion of women's rights, Connie, is going to tell us about Omaima Nelson today. Uh, it's so funny that you say that, because I am a champion for women's <laughs> rights. <laughs> but... Not in this case. <laughs> um, well, first off, I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. I hope you guys spent time with your families. There's no conversations about your weight when you're getting married or when you're having kids. See, champion for women's rights. See, champion. I hope you made mashed potato volcanoes. It was yes. the best day ever. I made gluten-free stuffing for the first time. And How it was, was it? you know, stuffing, you could put enough chicken broth in any stuffing and it's good. <laughs> and then you bake it and the stuffing gets a little hard and it's gluten-free bread. So I think it was fine. <laughs> I can't do stuffing even if it's not gluten-free. So I, look guys, little secret. I can eat stuffing prior to me being gluten-free. I would eat that. Literally, I would get the stovetop canister that you just make the individual servings. I don't know what it is about it, but I could take a bath in it and then just like eat my way out. I love <laughs> stuffing so much. It is my favorite Thanksgiving meal. I don't get it. My husband's the same way. He loves it and he loves the stovetop kinds, but like it has to be the I, stovetop. Like I, I really love um, cooking and I like making like fancy dinner stuff and so the first thanksgiving i made stuffing from scratch mm -hmm. and he was like what is this i'm like mm -hmm. it's stuffing you want it stuffing here it is and he's like no i want it from the box and like i made cranberry sauce and he was like what is this i want give it me the, the slob from a can i and i was like no i won't i still won't do it from the can i make it but if I am, if it's Thanksgiving, I would like my fancy stuffing, like bow tie style stuffing. But if it's <laughs> like a Wednesday night and I'm like watching some documentary in my pants with no bra, I want stovetop in a crate. <laughs> Give me the whole thing. I'm making six Dude, servings. Most people eat like ice cream or something. You're sitting on the couch eating stovetop stuffing I in am. like March. <laughs> I am. I love it so much. Now that I'm talking about how much I love it, I'm getting a little sad that I can't just go get stovetop stuffing. <laughs> they don't have a gluten-free version? No, get with the stovetop. Maybe after this. Maybe after they hear this episode. For famous <laughs> podcaster. <laughs> gluten-free stovetop. Or else. Okay. Happy December. Okay. Happy December. <laughs> anyway, in keeping up with my Thanksgiving case tradition... I have something a little special for you guys. For our Patreon listeners every month, we put two cases up. Our patrons vote on them. And then we cover whichever case they like for our bonus episode. This month, the two cases involved crimes that happened on Thanksgiving. So usually the case that doesn't get voted on, it kind of just like goes into the abyss and we just bring it up at some other point or... That's kind of it. We're just like, all right, no one wanted it. We're going to go move on. But this month, I really wanted to cover a Thanksgiving case because last year I covered the Blount family Thanksgiving bombing, and it's still one of my favorite cases that I've That recorded. is one of my favorite episodes that you did. And 
so tonight we are kind of doing a twofer. If you're one of our Patre- Patreon subscribers, then you probably just listened to or you will be listening to the case that you guys chose and then the case that didn't get chosen. But it was like pretty damn close. Half, like not quite half. Like obviously one, one, one didn't. And a lot of people said that they wanted to pick Hear both. both. And yeah. because we are so thankful for you guys, if <laughs> you're getting both. So tonight we're going to talk about Omaima Nelson, the former Egyptian model turned murderer. If you are a true crime connoisseur, then you already probably have heard this case. Your stomach probably went bleh. And because this is very yikes. So I have not heard it. And now I'm a little nervous. <laughs> uh Gonna give you your weekly trigger warning for pretty much all of the above. Okay. I'm just gonna blanket cover it. All of the above. It's a trigger. It's it's a rough one. So, you know, we always say we are gonna stay away from well-known cases. But when you're thinking, not and I mean this is a good thing. I don't want anyone to think of like, oh, I wish there were more crimes that happened on holidays. <laughs> but when you're <laughs> bigger murder cases. During family get-togethers, like, I don't want you to think that that's what I'm thinking. But, the, you know, when you're like, I want to do a case that happened around Thanksgiving. Thankfully, there aren't, like, a ton to choose from. So, here we go. Omaima Nelson was born in 1968 in Egypt. She was a former model. She was a nanny. She immigrated to the United States in 1986 when she was 18 years old. A psychiatrist would later testify that she had a traumatic childhood when she lived in Egypt. Huge trigger warning. She was the victim of brutal physical and sexual abuse. She did not come from an affluent family. Her dad was very violent to her. They did not have a lot of money. Not only was she molested and beaten often as a young girl, she was also forced to have a female circumcision. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, God. That's This awful. left her with a genital mutilation that made it very painful for her to engage in sexual activity as she got older. This amount of trauma contributed rightfully so to some of the mental disorders she had as she aged into adulthood. And I know that we say this anytime with, you know, cases like this, you can feel, feel sad for that type of childhood. I, feel ill thinking about all of the young girls that this type of stuff still happens to like it's especially like female circumcision like yeah genital mutilation legitimately messes me up like I cannot believe it honestly I have a hard time believing like male circumcision that's for another day but like the drives me it's gnarly it's it's awful no one should ever have to experience it but they're On the other side are millions of sexual assault survivors, physical abuse survivors who do not grow up to be murderers. So her childhood does not give her adult behavior a free pass. It just makes me sad to think that she had to endure those things because no one should ever have to. In 1991, Omaima met 56-year-old William Nelson. He was a pilot. They met playing pool at a California bar. The couple wasted no time getting serious and were married after knowing each other for about a month. William Nelson, Bill, 
was actually it's it's not funny but it's funny to think like it's 2021 so this is how far we've come he was actually on parole in 1984 for smuggling marijuana in texas (laughs) in california full disclosure when i read that he was a felon like a convicted felon i was like oh man this is gonna be a rut like he what did he do and then i was like wait what but it's the 1950s <laughs> and he was actually when they met and got married he was already married to someone else named Catherine. she had tried to file for divorce when he was serving time at a literal federal prison for his marijuana charges but they never actually finished terminating their marriage but he was a pilot so i guess he was using his like plane to smuggle marijuana to and from mexico so maybe it's like more of like a blow and johnny depp scenario it's sort of like just like your local <laughs> like high large school scale drug. like large scale it's not like your you know high school drug dealer just like, giving you some free so like you're driving drug. to the state that's legal and bringing it to the state that's yeah not. <laughs> He was also suspected of bringing electronics into Mexico illegally, which I am not too sure what that means. If full disclosure, I'm not, I'm not electronics. Like, I don't know if it, I'm assuming it's like a cargo type thing. Yeah, maybe. I have no idea either. After Omaima and William got married, they set out on a romantic honeymoon to Arkansas and Texas before they moved into Bill's Costa Mesa, California apartment. It's in Orange County. Now, this is the part of the episode where we usually go into detail about one of them having a double life. There's like a long, like toxic marriage, but not this time. Shit literally hit the fan three weeks later. Yeah. I don't know why I'm surprised. They were like, you Mm -hmm. meet at a bar, you know each other. Like sometimes when you know, you know, and that's okay. You do know. But if you ask my husband, he'll tell you that he knew at some point he would marry me when outside of Mrs. Bard's English class, he had a girlfriend because he was I'm kind of a cougar, guys. I was a senior <laughs> when he was a freshman. <laughs> but kind of a cougar, guys. He uh he had a girlfriend who was in our Eng- like our literature class or whatever what it was. And uh really? he saw me outside of that he was like yeah I think I'm gonna marry that girl someday it had everything to do with my physical stature as a senior nothing to do with like nothing (laughs) and we like to wear those short skirts with leggings you know yeah all the things a couple of dream boats (laughs) every preppy boy in high school wants to date the punk rock girl even if (laughs) they don't seem like they would want to they may not want to date them, but they want to hang out with them in a more intimate fashion. <laughs> Is that true everywhere? Let us know. Is that true? <laughs> Let us know. We think that's true. I think, it, yeah, I think so. On December 1st, we digress. <laughs> On December 1st, 1991. It's the same day that this comes out. Oh! <laughs> I didn't even realize this. Police received a call from a man who told them that his ex-girlfriend came knocking on his door, claiming that her husband had attacked her and raped her and that she had been forced to kill him in self-defense. 
she begged him to help her dispose of the body, offering him $75,000 and two motorcycles in exchange for his help. The man's name was Jose Esquivel, and the woman who came knocking on the door was Omaima Nelson. Jose calmed Omaima down, told her he would help, but for her to like kind of get it together, go back to her apartment and wait for him. As soon as she left, Jose was like, no. <laughs> Good job. I was like, Jose, what? He decided that this was not the job for him. And he called 911 before she even pulled out of the driveway. He Good. was like, hello. Good, sir. <laughs> hello, crazy lady. <laughs> Trigger warning again, because we're going to. Police pulled to the Nelson's apartment and took a peep into Bill's Corvette and found trash bags with human remains inside the car. The grisly scene inside the apartment left investigators literally traumatized. There were more trash bags that had human remains in them. The mattress in the bedroom was blood-soaked. When police looked inside the bathroom, they found a skinned human torso hanging from clothes hangers. What? Mm -hmm. This is not like my husband. My husband, this is not a self-defense murder. Omaima was there during this time. Because remember, Jose was like, hey, go back to your apartment. <laughs> Wait <laughs> go for back me. There. Please never come back here again. She tried telling investigators that the remains belonged to someone that Bill had killed when he was in Florida for work. But it would not take long for investigators to realize that it was a total lie. They found Bill's head wrapped in aluminum foil in her freezer. It's like very Catherine Knight-esque. Yeah. Adding to the horror, Bill's face had burns on it as if hot oil had been thrown. When police looked in the deep fryer that was on the kitchen <gasps> counter, they found his two hands. Oh, what? On December 2nd, 1991, Omaima Nelson was charged for the murder of her husband. That's so much. Oh, like hands honey. in a deep fryer, head honey. in a free. <laughs> it's not, we're not even done. That's I the... know, we're only like 10 minutes in or something. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a too long case this week. I wanted to give everyone just a little, little taste of it. Maybe that's Literally. not the right word to use. Yeah, I was like, maybe, maybe we're not saying taste after we're deep frying hands. It didn't take long for news to travel around Orange County because Orange County is not Hartford City, Indiana, you guys. Like, it's it's a pretty nice area. I mean, Bill drove a Corvette, like, in the early 90s. Like, this is a very nice area. So everyone starts talking about this grisly murder. Shock and horror as more details begin to come out about what happened that Thanksgiving weekend. Omaima was in jail for almost a year awaiting her trial. And prior to the trial, more details began to emerge as police began to piece together the events of what happened during Bill Nelson's last few days. According to his daughter, Margaret, who was just 15 when her dad was murdered, Bill had called her to see if she wanted to come over on Thanksgiving so she could meet his new wife. Margaret's 15, so she's pissed that he even got married that quick, rightfully so. So she didn't want to come. 
So, you know, Amima cooked a Thanksgiving dinner for just the two of them. Margaret would later say that what broke her like even now is that even though she had so much hostility and teenage angst towards the situation about not wanting to go meet her, her Bill remained kind and patient with her, explaining that he knew it was going to be a process and he understood. Gutted. Physically Good gutted. Good dad mode. The defense attorney, Thomas G. Moody, cited that Omaima was the victim of extreme physical and sexual abuse from her husband and that she had finally had enough and she stabbed. She thought murdering him was the only way she would be safe. During the trial, he argued that she was the actual victim. And it was all a reaction to what Bill had been doing to her. She claimed that during their marriage, it turned violent almost immediately. And that if she didn't subject herself to the kind of kink, literal kink, that Bill wanted her to participate in, she would be violently beaten. Took on three Thanksgiving, weeks, huh? On Thanksgiving Day, she claimed that an argument had escalated and that she had to defend herself with whatever was within grabbing distance, including scissors and a lamp to prevent herself from being beat and raped. The deputy district attorney, Randolph Pulowski, pretty much blew the entire lid off of that facade. And with the help of previous boyfriends and the testimony of psychiatrist Dr. David Scheffner, he was like, yeah, that's what she's saying is complete and total bullshit. So I'm going to walk you through what she told Dr. Scheffner during their visits that gives you the details of the night Bill was murdered. Once again, extreme trigger warning. So according to Dr. Scheffner, she lured Bill to the bedroom under the false premise of sex. They had found pictures that were taken, um, like nude photos of Omaima that it's assumed that like Bill was the photographer for them. Um, and they're like dated the like the day of Thanksgiving. So like it was shortly before Bill was murdered. And sh- during this time, Amima has like you can see the pictures. There are no signs of physical abuse. And she's like smiling and she looks happy in them. Which I know that is not always like a yeah, there's sign. There's not always you- physical signs. Yeah. And I know that she could be smiling in pictures if it was a good moment. And that doesn't necessarily like negate the fact that there could be abuse. She had lured Bill to the bedroom under the false premise of sex. She shackled him to the bed, making him think that they were going to participate in what she called sex games, which could cause some reasonable doubt for like a jury because there's no evidence of her planning that there's, you know, it's, she said this to her psychiatrist, you know, she could easily like say like, no, that's not what I meant. But the trouble came in. When former boyfriend Robert Hansen came forward saying that she had also tied him up under the same promise and then tried to rob him at gunpoint. She was then charged with false imprisonment and attempted robbery. And it was added to the charges during the trial because like, oh, really? Mm -hmm. That's good. I mean, I'm glad for him. Yeah. That they were able to add that. There were other boyfriends who... They were like, yeah, she would turn violent. Like, she's she's not an innocent. Like, I do nothing. So now prosecutors are establishing a pattern saying that she murdered Bill to steal his money, which 
seems evident since she immediately went to Jose and she's like, I have $75,000. I can pay you to help me dispose of this. And it was because she went to steal his money and not because she was the victim of assault, victim of assault, like why she killed Bill. She also disclosed to Dr. Scheffner that she had a history of using her looks and sex to get men to pay for things, to do things for her. Because, I mean, she was model. She was beautiful. Um, one of the articles that I read said that she had, like, glass-cut cheekbones. And you can see, like, in her pictures of her, like, as she, like, when she was younger. And even, like, her pictures now. Like, she's, she's, a, she's a pretty, like, she's a pretty woman. I was trying to think of how to say it's that hard, without sounding creepy. It's also hard to say, like. She was beautiful, and also she skinned a, a guy. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I was, I was like, how do I say that? Not being like, <laughs> you're sympathizing with her. No, I'm just stating this. According to prosecutors, after Bill was tied up, she bludgeoned Bill with a lamp and repeatedly stabbed him with a pair of scissors. Um, one of the articles I read said that after she tied him up, she immediately grabbed the scissors and. Before Bill even knew what was happening, she plunged them into his chest. And I am going to add, before I go any further, Bill Nelson was not a small man. He was 6'4 and 230 pounds. It's a big dude. After she brutally murdered him, over the next 12 hours, she claimed that she slipped into a trance as she dismembered his body. Classic trance, huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. So much so that she skinned his torso, decapitated him, castrated him, dismembered him. As if this was not horrifying enough. This one kind of effed me up, guys. Neighbors reported that they heard her garbage disposal running for 48 hours straight. Oh, my gosh. Dr. Scheffner said that she had told him she boiled his hands so that his fingerprints would be gone and it would be harder to identify him. She then dressed in a red dress, red shoes, red lipstick, as she, quote, this is a direct quote from her, did his ribs just like in a restaurant. She said that she sat at the kitchen table and ate his ribs after she cooked them in barbecue sauce. What the fuck? There it is. Take it. Ew, what? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like she's at a fancy dinner? And she, like, she told Dr. Scheffner all of these things. And then later she was like, oh, no, I did not cannibalize Bill. I I would never do that. I am not a monster. I, I <laughs> Evidence did not. Evidence says otherwise, ma'am. <laughs> Take the cannibalism out of it. And it's still messed up. Spoiler alert. You are still <laughs> A monster. Like, you're still a monster. I'm I want to ask a question, but I think you might be getting to something else. So I'll wait and ask just in case it comes up later. She mixed the remaining body parts of his with turkey remnants from Thanksgiving. So it would not be suspicious. When it was all said and done and autopsy technicians were, I say this like as gently as I can literally weighing the remnants that they had. There was 80 pounds that they, that was never able to be accounted for. Oh my goodness. Poor Bill. Mm -hmm. 
During Dr. Schefter's evaluations of Omaima, he had diagnosed her as being clinically psychotic, which I don't want to say it's hard, but it is not an it is not an easy thing to have a diagnosis, like a clinical like diagnosis of a psychopath. Like usually it's like, oh, it's you know, they're a sociopath, they're disassociative. Like it's not often it's like they're psych like in my professional opinion, this person is a psychopath. On January 12th, 1993, after six days of deliberation, the jury was unable to come to an agreement on first-degree murder, and she was acquitted of the charge, but they did convict her of second-degree murder. One of the jurors later said that they tried to, like, they were looking at just the evidence. And it was hard to find, which we see this so much. It's such bullshit. It was hard to find evidence that it was premeditated, even though there was evidence showing Bill had his ankles bound moments before his death. I mean, they saw, they saw the mark. So he yeah, was but bound. Like, but if they were doing the sex stuff. Yeah. And I, I get it. I, I'm not like, happy about it. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, I understand, but I'm still pissed off. Like, yeah, exactly. I'm still pissed off. And like I said before, she never presented with any signs of severe physical abuse, which she claimed she had been experiencing, which we know, like we said, we know, like, it's not always like cut and dry. It's not always like, hey, look, this is my, I have signs of, like, I have bruises. But when you're claiming that you are severely beaten, but you never have any marks or anything saying otherwise, it kind of raises like, and when you're on trial for brutally murdering your husband. (laughs) Yeah. And she was sentenced to 25 years to life. She also had six years added to her sentence um, for the false imprisonment charge and the attempted robbery charge. She was eligible for parole in 2006, but it was denied because they felt at that time she was still an extreme risk to society. She went up again for parole in 2011. And and I'm saying this like I wish I'm rolling my eyes. Despite her claims that she was a born again Christian and had found meaning and integrity in her life. She had married a second time during prison to a man who was in his 70s. And that's like, I say his age because it's very important because all of her boyfriends, it's she would prey on men who were older, who like they were older than she was. Who she could manipulate. Exactly. Because she's young. She's beautiful. Like she used her body to get what, you know, she wanted, which I am a big like when I will support you, like if do your you thing, boo boo. Yeah. yeah, do your thing, boo boo. But like, don't kill your husbands. Yeah, don't skin their bodies and put their hands in the deep fryer. Yeah, and she said that the reason she wasn't a danger society, society, her husband had actually passed away before her 2011 um, uh, parole hearing was, but she's not a danger to society because. They even had three-day conjugal visits. And in the kitchen, there were sharp knives and everything. And he never felt like he was in danger of being murdered when he was with her. Which we had to talk about this for a second. Because I didn't know that was a thing. I knew, like, conjugal visits were a thing. I didn't know they were, like, in different places and they lasted, like, days at a time. Like, 
like like long term hotel stays or anything? I don't know. Like wherever they were, they had a kitchen and she had access to knives and she was a damn like murderer. It just seemed a little like weird. Like it's weird. It's weird that they get conjugal visits. Yeah. Like why if these people are being like you're I, in trouble, why yeah, are they like, getting I know that if it's like life without parole, like a lot of times they could earn conjugal visits. Like if they're never getting out of there, like I understand that. But like you're getting conjugal visits and you're in there for horrifically like not even like, oh my gosh, I shot my husband, which I mean, that's not any like less like shitty of a thing to do. But like you did disgusting things to your husband's body after you brutally murdered him. Yeah, that disgusting. Yeah, I, I looked up a thing. It said they're permitted to spend several hours or days in private with a visitor, usually their legal spouse, and they may engage in sexual activity. It's to preserve family bonds and increase chances of success for a prisoner's eventual return to ordinary life. Oh, so maybe I was backwards. Maybe if you're like life without parole, they're like, eh. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> ah, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> it's also like, again, not to, it's, I'm trying to think of how to say this without someone like coming for me later. So I'm just going to say it. It's weird to me that she would want to engage in conjugal visits with like some random man she met in prison. If it's such a, like if it's so painful to have sex, like if it's not something you, you know, like it's not. If you're not using it as a tool. Yeah. I hear what you're trying to say. I. Unless it's I like she know. wants that. I, yeah. I don't have an answer for that or even unless, like an idea. Yeah. Or if like she wasn't expecting him to like pass away and like this was her like, look at me. I'm I'm a good wife. Like I have a husband standing by me while I'm in prison. Yeah. Also, it's kind of weird that someone would marry, like, it's so weird. I would not pick. There's a whole TikTok side. There's like a whole like, no. side of well, TikTok I'm, dedicated yeah, to that. I am all for, like, there are millions of people who are in prison that are good people. Yeah. Like, and they, they, they make shitty choices. But, to be there. Yeah. Like, they're, and even the ones that do deserve, like, maybe, you know, like, maybe they're, they made some shitty maybe choices. Maybe rehabilitated a and, little bit. But, like, the person in prison for brutally dismembering his wife is not the person I'm going to be like, sup, man. Have I'm a conjugal visit. I'm going to change you. Look at all these knives. You're not going to kill me. That's, like the that's weird. people who fall in love with serial killers and mm-hmm. say it couldn't have been them. There's no way I know them. Like, you guys no, are wrong. You're, you are know wrong. a person who has lied to you. That's what you know. Mm-hmm. Because they have a facade as truth. And it sucks because it's a level of manipulation that you cannot see through. Or attain. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like it's. Because you're not, you're probably not a psychopath. Uh, Well, when um, at her last parole hearing, Bill's daughter, Margaret, who's 35 at the time, spoke on behalf of her father. And she had written a written statement and she had struggled to get through it. She talked about how Bill wasn't able to walk her down the aisle and that he wasn't able to meet his, at that time, his eight-week-old granddaughter. 
And she said, quote, I don't know the adequate punishment for a murderer who doesn't even leave a family, a body to mourn over. But I do know. But I do know you don't let her out. And they denied her parole again. So she's not eligible for parole now until 2026. And honestly, I don't see her getting out. Yeah, no way. If she gets out, Mm -hmm. I will. I will write them. I'll be like, no, I don't think Mm -hmm. that's fair. No, and this eat a person and live to hang out outside of a window without bars on it. And it's weird. Like, it's weird. The escalation from robbing someone at gunpoint. I was going to ask. That's the question I was going to ask you. There's no way that was her first murder, right? I didn't think so. Like, I mean, you thought enough about it to put his remains into a garbage disposal. And also go and ask someone, for, like, who else might have murdered and been murdered around her? And she had people who may have helped her in this situation, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, and I don't know. It's just, it's so weird to me that there has to be some segue between, I mean, I guess there could, I mean, she could have not snapped because of like his doings, or she thought, I just don't see how she thought she was ever going to get away with that because the investigators, like the court reports, there was blood everywhere. Jurors needed, like they were offered therapy after they were shown pictures of his dismemberment and like the crime scene because it was that horrific. Yeah. Like that fucking brutal. Like it's, and then I just don't and I guess it was Catherine this. Knight's first murder too, you know, because that does have like big Catherine Knight vibes. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say like, I, I don't support it, obviously, but I understand being in an extremely physically abusive, sexually abusive relationship, marriage, what have you, and snapping. Yeah, I and even like feeling that. like the only way out is to kill this person because that's the yes. only way I can escape. But that is not. That's Dis- like you that's snap. Not, you snap. You bludgeon them. You know. You panic. That's that is not. I skin them. I dismembered them. I deep fried their hands. I put. I put I, their head in the freezer. I, yeah, she cooked his head as well, and like what? that's not. Yes, and I that's didn't hear not, that part. Well, I hadn't said it because it was like oh. kind of ah. But like you sat down in your best red dress and best red heels and barbecued his actual ribs and then talked about like how you cook them. And then the next time you're like, oh, I never cannibalized him. What? But I did all the other stuff. Like what? Girl, no. Go Ugh. home because you are insane. Ugh. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was there's I don't know, man. Just uh I'm I, glad she's in prison. I don't want to say I'm drawn to cases like this and m- this is probably going to make me sound like a psychopath. Well, you are. But so go on. <laughs> well, but like cases like this, Catherine Nye, like Joe Matheny, like they I'm drawn in and even like Kobe cannibal because I can't wrap my mind around eating people eating people. And I can't wrap my mind around that level of like depravity. Yeah. And like the, the just like overkill afterwards, like 
you it's just so extreme it's yeah very... you used your garbage disposable for two days straight and i mean she there are 80 pounds that were not accounted for so she dis like she disposed of a lot of his body in his in the garbage disposal Ugh, i just i was like how did they hear it but I, you t- said it was his apartment not yeah like it's an apartment home. yeah how and like did neighbors hear stuff what happened you know like what happened yeah. there with like actual like neighbors if they heard the garbage that's, disposal running did they that's hear what had me thinking like that had me questioning the violent outbursts like scenario because if your neighbors can hear you running a garbage disposable for two days they could hear you fighting yeah they could hear the constant arguing the you know they could hear you getting you know abused and yelling for help or crying or him screaming Mm -hmm. or her screaming yeah i it made me wonder if like she tried to rob him and it had went too far did she realize he was actually married to someone else? Like what? Because that would affect money aspect of it. Yeah. If he's legally married, you can be married all you want, but it's not going to matter. The other wife is still like first wife. Yeah. Your marriage is like null. Can't be married to two people. Sister wives. Sister wives. <laughs> oh, man. That was gross. Uh-huh. It was a gross case i maintain that that's not the first person that that lady yeah it's maybe not to that extent maybe not to that like level of yeah but i mean the psychology behind it i it doesn't make it appropriate but i understand the disdain for men if i had that level i feel that all the time <laughs> but i mean like as like up until she was 18 if she was subjected to this horrific trauma yeah. i understand being like fuck these men i understand all of them that and Just i mean use them to get what you want yeah a I'm, girl if you sure. are if you have your father in your life and i'm not speaking but like the majority of the time you base how you treat, and we see this all the time in cases, you base how you treat like in situations of trauma, how your parents or how someone in power treated you. And if your father, like if the man who is supposed to protect her and provide for her is having her, a, you know, a female cast, you know, like, ah, uh, yeah. I, know. Know. I can't even I, say it. You can't even say it because it's just like, ugh. ugh. And I, like, I have any time there is a case where it is people being sexually assaulted in general, but, like, when it's, like, childhood trauma with, like, girls, I am so, like, I you look at my daughter. Them. Yeah, I look at my daughter and I'm just, like, I can't, I can't even imagine. Like, I can't. I want to be able to save every person who that happens to. And I know it's not possible. And that is also a very defeating feeling. You're right. It is defeating feeling because you, you know that it's out, it's happening places Mm -hmm. and there's nothing you can do about it other than be vocal about why it's wrong and urge people to like say something, do anything. I, that, Again, it doesn't make it right. It doesn't give her a free pass. But 
it, I understood the castration aspect aspect of it. Yeah, you could see why she might have done that. Mm-hmm. Maybe not all the rest of the stuff, but yeah. Yeah, I under and he I'm not saying he deserves it at all because he 100% like does, no no one no. no one. No one deserves that. No and one. As an adult, she is at some point responsible for her own bullshit. 100%. Yeah. You cannot control what happened to you as a child, but you can control how you choose to overcome it be defeated by it or react react like treat other people (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that is not victim shaming that is a we all i mean i say this and i'm looking like at you if you treated everyone how you were treated as a child when you had when you were abducted like you i would also be in jail (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like you can't do that. And like, I, yeah. And I always hold you like, I, you're like my standard. I'm like, well, well, egg. my friend, <laughs> no, my friend. I don't know. I, not everybody has the resources to be able yeah, to overcome 100%. their trauma. And that is like, that is the sad, the saddest, like that is the saddest aspect of it. Because not everyone does. Not everyone has the means to go to therapy. You were in extensive therapy. Like, yeah. And not everyone has parents that give a shit afterwards, you know? Maybe they find out about it and they're the people who say, we, we're not going to talk about that. Yep. You know, or they, I don't know. Oh, makes me everyone, sad. Situations are just all different. And so you can't blanket it, but it does all fucking suck. I will say that. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And on that note, I hope everyone Ugh. had good Thanksgiving. <laughs> but we'll be back next week. And I don't think I have anything to say after that because that was a bummer. And we took that to an even more of a bummer. Yeah, so, that was not like a fun conversation the, afterwards. Bringing the vibes down. Well, I do have kind of a little story. Do you want to hear it? Of course. Uh, it's from a listener, actually. She messaged us and she was talking about how she, her kid had fall, was trying to fall asleep and it was like seven o'clock and her kid mm-hmm. was three, right? And so she's like, I'm going to take you for a walk, even though it's already a little dark. So she was walking her kid. She had a baby in a stroller and her kid was taking a walk with her. And this car, she noticed, started following her. And so she kind of turned and then the car like rounded and she saw it again and then it rounded again and it parked and a guy got out and started coming towards her oh and so fuck that yeah and so she said that she's a pretty trusting person and she normally would have like been like oh no maybe this guy needs something but because she'd been listening to the podcast she like turned and hauled ass out of there oh. and like called her husband and was like hey you need to come and get me now I love that. Yeah. And the guy was like, why are you running? And she was like, because I don't know you. And I was like, (laughs) I don't know you. I don't have to talk to you if I don't know you. Yeah. I don't have to talk to you if I do know you. That's my purse. I don't know you. Um, And I was just so proud of her. And I was like, that's why we do Way to have, you have your babies with you. So you were Mm -hmm. probably terrified. Way to get into that state of mind that's like, nope, nope, we got to go. So, fight or fight. Yeah. So, her 
husband, I guess, she called the police and her husband followed this car, but he had rushed out of the house to like come and find her. And when he did, he forgot his cell phone. So she couldn't like call him to be like, what's what? And she like didn't think to get the license plate because she was too busy to like running. Saving her kids and saving yeah. her. Saving her ass. Yeah. Hell yeah. So, lock your windows, lock you. your doors, <laughs> run away from strangers and listen to gruesome. Yeah. And uh, tell them, I don't know you. That's yeah. That's I'm the so- best thing I have ever heard. And I want to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> I don't know you. Don't I talk don't know to me. You. What? Why are you yeah. running? I don't know. I don't you. know you. I Man, know. she's a badass. Yeah, you're a badass. Thank you. We're gonna send she's, her something. She's from Canada, so yeah, we're definitely gonna send her something. <laughs> I will reach out. But yeah, that was a cool story, and I wanted to tell everyone. I asked her if it was okay, and she said it was. So yeah, this is also uh. I don't always get on our social media. Did she send it on Instagram? <laughs> yeah, she did. That's okay. Uh, I just happened to be on there. I actually have not been great about it either. It's final, so. Yeah, so it's lovely. been a rough, you know, family. <laughs> Every family. month is a rough month. <laughs> I don't have any good. I think back sometimes. I'm like, man, next month will be better. And then it's not. And I'm still just overwhelmed. And I realized that I have three kids and this is like my constant state the, until the is, day I yeah. die. It's maybe not better, but just like next month will be calmer or like next yeah. week I'll have less to do. And it never happens. You're just like, <laughs> it's not true. I always have more to do. Like my son is done with soccer. And I was like, which was honestly, he lost his last game in a penalty shootout, which I did not realize was so heartbreaking because I had never soccer but um (laughs) he I had only been before he played soccer I had a boyfriend uh in high school that played soccer and I went to like I think we went to one game I think did you go you may have went I don't remember that I do not uh, blacked out a lot of stuff (laughs) I have a freakishly Sheldon Cooper memory but I went to like one soccer game and that was like the extent of my soccer knowledge and I was like it's tied and they already went through overtime do we tie? And they're like, no, it's penalty kicks. And then I quickly Googled like statistics <laughs> of penalty kicks. And I was like, this is only a 50, 50 chance. This is going to go our way. And it didn't go our way. And he was, he had played the last two quarters. He did not play in the overtime part because he had played. And it's the way the rules are. He had like, there's a certain amount of time they can play. And my son said the most Connie comment I have ever heard in my entire life because I he had friends who were like visibly upset and I was like hey are you okay you guys played so well I'm so proud of you like this is such a good I'm so glad you got this far and he said oh I didn't play in the penalty kicks or the overtime this is uh, this isn't on me and I was like (laughs) my man (laughs) I have no responsibility for losing I was only there when we were winning I'm very sorry and he was like, this isn't on me. And I was like, you know what? I feel that. Like, <laughs> uh, I love him, but what a turd. Yes, yeah, that is very he, Connie. You're like, meh. Oh, well, I wasn't there for that. Yeah. And he doesn't get like physically, like emotionally attached to things. That's another like, sorry for all of his future girlfriends. He is his mother's son. <laughs> but he, yeah. 
it was, but we're done with that. And I was like, oh, awesome. But now it's like, we have Boy Scouts three times a week. Cause now my youngest son, three Boy times, you, they have like a Christmas wreath decorations. I had to buy a Christmas wreath and now they're singing carols on Wednesday. They have a meeting on Monday. I need a nanny who can just like body morph into me so I can get the hell out of here. Like, Can you just take my kid to stuff that I don't want to go to? Yeah. And I still have, I don't know how people are like hardcore sports parents because that is like, that's your life. That becomes Mm -hmm. like, you don't have hobbies anymore. You have your kids hobbies. That's crazy. Yeah. And I I never think about that part of like becoming a mom. And it's great. Like he, they love it. So like, it's so like the feeling of watching your kids, like do something that they love and then watching them progress and improve. And you're like all these thousands of dollars I'm spending on these sports. Like, look, it's paying off. Or sometimes you pay a lot of money and your son sits in the middle of the soccer field. Cause that's what my youngest did last time he tried to play. But it's great watching them do something they love. And he's at the age now in sixth grade where it's starting to click and like, he's getting really good. And like, that's the competitive side of me comes out and I'm like, hell yeah. Trip him. I know you're not trip, supposed to trip him. Slide tackle. Oh, that's bad. My bad. Play nice with your friends. Just so much. And then I have a whole house. I mean, my garage is still like, a, I haven't, we moved in in August and I'm not like, I'm not even close to unpacked or, and now it's Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> it's Christmas. And now you're going to get more stuff that you have to like also unpack. <laughs> I can't. You know it'll calm down in January. <laughs> Maybe it'll calm down when I'm dead. <laughs> I think in 18 years, you'll probably will have like a small, window of calmness yeah and i like had convinced myself for the past week i tore my rotator cuff (laughs) it's like every week with you (laughs) like i was like i did something and honestly i did something to my shoulder and i thought it was getting better but it's not and now it's like you have been talking about your shoulder for a while yeah like hurting i I can't you know how like you take your shirt off like you know like over like this Mm -hmm. i can't reach over to like pull my shirt on this side it like my whole arm goes up, and I'm like I don't think that's normal sometimes that happens with one of my arms when I am picking my kid up constantly yeah see that's I thought I picked up my daughter and she's like almost 50 pounds now and I was like and that's what did it I was like this is how I die and it's been like months (laughs) picking up my picking up my three-year-old yeah yeah it sucks don't come for her she's a big girl leave her alone <laughs> she's healthy I, I don't get hurt that much but when that happened after i had like i'd been like she was really clingy that week and i just like sat there on the couch like an ice pack on my arm and i was like i think i need to go to the hospital like i can't move my arm it really hurts and i am not like that normally with anything but that one it is it's hard when you can't move your arm because you need it for everything I am like the worst person because I'm like, I think I'm sick. I'm going to go to the doctor <laughs> like because I work at the hospital. So like I make an appointment and I just go downstairs and I'm like, hi, I'm here. They're I like, work upstairs. Oh, welcome back. <laughs> Are you a hypochondriac? Maybe. Absolutely look at my not. extensive. Look at my mental health history. Read my notes. <laughs> of course I am. But my shoulder's really hurting though. Can I have an MRI, please? 
And then, you know, like work is tough. When I was like, man, I hope I tore my rotator cuff because that's surgery and I could be out for at least a week. Probably but longer, get- like six weeks, maybe. Do FMLA yeah, for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have a hard enough job where I would need to be out for six weeks. They would be like, you're fine. You sit there. Just- yeah, you're watching YouTube. <laughs> Just continue to sit there. I'd be like, all right, no harm here. All right, guys. Well, <laughs> that's it for this week. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, and you'd like us to keep putting out ad-free content, here are some of the ways that you can help support Gruesome. You can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us, and you get a I knew them before they were famous moment. Follow Gruesome Podcast on Instagram and talk to us on our posts. Engage with us. We'd love to hear from you there. If you'd like to send a donation, we have a Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and to gain access to exclusive Patreon perks. If a one-time donation is more your thing, you can find our Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and our PayPal using our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether or not that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye.